Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Um, we are in our series, Transforming Truth, and uh, we're talking about and thinking about the way that truth is uh, dynamic in the sense that when truth gets hold of us, it changes us. Truth is a transforming agent in uh, our lives. And we, we, we looked at creation and understanding that firstly, above all else, uh, the creation was good. And we looked at the doctrine of the Trinity, that we're above all else created as relational beings. And we looked at the doctrine of the fall and how it all gone, has gone catastrophically uh, wrong. But even, even in those moments when it was going catastrophically wrong, there were hints that a rescue was on its way. That Adam and Eve, God covered them with the skins of an animal. Uh, an animal needs to die in order for you to use its skin. So the sacrifice of another was going to one day cover the sins of uh, the people. And then we looked at a couple of weeks ago, so helpfully from Kerry, the way that uh, God hasn't left us bereft in the world and for the journey, but that he comes to us, he speaks to us, he has spoken, he is speaking, and he will speak to us. But today takes it just one step further. God is not just speaking to us, but more than that, God is at work in his world. He is at work among us. And the idea that God is doing stuff, that God is at work in his world, is what we call providence. So I've entitled this morning, Trying to Find Our Way. The world has set itself up against uh, God. Much of what happens in our world is utterly opposed to the original purpose that God intended. It might be uh, not need saying, but it creates, I think, the appropriate foundation and backdrop for what we're about to look at this morning. The kingdoms of this world stand opposed to the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of darkness are contrary to his kingdom of light. This world is messed up, mixed up, and very mistaken wouldn't you agree? Yet, yet the doctrine of providence asserts that God is still sovereign and that God is still at work in this messed up, fallen, broken, mistaken, mixed up world. The idea of providence of God being providential in his world. Uh, some people use this verse uh, in the story with Abraham as, as to talk about where it, it came from at its beginning. But in the end, who cares? The truth that the Bible asserts is this, that God is at work in his world. He's at work in creation. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. God is at work through history. He is the God who sets the times and the seasons. He's both the beginning and the end of history. And we're going to go through these quite quickly uh, to get to our main point in the time that we've got. Thirdly, God is at work through pagan nations and rulers. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? From the Old Testament, that God used the ungodly nation of Assyria to his own ends. That even humanity in its evil moments can be unwittingly, from their perspective, fulfilling the purpose of God. And the benign leader, or no less pagan leader, Cyrus, is regarded as God's shepherd, ironically, at a crucial time in Israel's history. However amazing those truths are, that a pagan ruler, gives us hope for our nation, doesn't it? That a pagan ruler can so wonderfully, yet unknowingly fulfill God's plan, Providence, one step further, teaches us this. God works even through dreadful and evil events to accomplish his purpose. Let's be really clear. Let's slow the pace right down to make sure we don't misunderstand uh, each other. God is totally opposed to evil. He cannot bear it. He cannot tolerate it. He's completely against it. He is totally righteous, holy, and pure. And the Bible's littered with those reminders. The doctrine of the fall makes it abundantly clear that the responsibility for our fallenness was our choice and not God's, that it's our evil, not his, that runs rampant around the world, and that God himself works tirelessly on the side of good and his rescuing purpose. So with that all solid and clear, we still assert the truth that the Bible teaches, that God is at work in his world even through moments of dreadful evil. It is God himself who's come to destroy the works of the devil. But he is so gloriously sovereign, so wonderfully majestic, he is so God that even in the devil's works itself, God's purpose can be made known. The greatest example is all that we celebrate at Easter. The cross is the most supreme example of God working something incredibly good in the midst of something that was utterly and profoundly awful and designed to be against his purpose. You with me? Is there any example of more wickedness, more utter depravity and absurdity, that the Son of God should come to earth and we should mock him and beat him 
and put him on a cross. That's what evil human nature does. That's what we are like in our barbaric state. No wonder it went dark that Friday afternoon. Wouldn't you agree? Yet within weeks... Just weeks. I mean, those disciples, they come across in the, in, in the stories of Jesus as being a bit thick and dopey, don't they? But, but just within weeks of all of this, they'd grasped some absolutely monumental truths that it's taking me and maybe us a lifetime to learn. Because in weeks of what happened, Peter, the first apostle, got up and said this about the most evil thing this world has ever shared in. He said this, This man was handed over to you, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. What does Peter say? He says, It's your fault. You did this. This was your evil. You killed the one from heaven. You crucified the one that God Sent. All true. They were totally responsible. It was their lies, their charges, their mock trial that took Jesus to his death. Yet, there is at the same time another perspective, another truth to see and to know that all of this, because of God's foreknowledge, would become part of God's plan. Look at the whole verse. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, don't know why a pound sign suddenly appeared in there, but there it is. With the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Wow. What irony. What an incredible juxtaposition. At the very moment we killed God, the most heinous crime that's ever been perpetrated on the earth, God in his sovereignty was using it to bring us life. Isn't that a remarkable turnaround? The most incredible evil became the crucible of God's goodness being displayed in the most magnificent manner this world has ever and will ever know or see. And that same truth, it wasn't that Peter was lucky with his words, that same truth was reasserted just a couple of chapters later in Acts chapter 4. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the gentiles and the people of israel in this sorry the people of israel in this city sorry the people of israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant whom you anointed that's what they did that's their choice that's their responsibility serving their ends trying to meet their purposes but verse 28 they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen you are incredibly powerful When at the moment your enemies do your worst to you, they are actually achieving your own ends. Wouldn't you agree? Our God is that powerful. At that moment, the enemies, the darkness, the kingdoms of evil were doing their worst. Was the very moment they were actually fulfilling God's purpose. That's providence right there. And it brings to me, and I hope to you, a magnificent sense of hope in the midst of some of the darkest times 
the worst of times, the evilest of times, if God can turn the cross around in such a glorious way, there's nothing he cannot do in the darkness of the world in which we live today or in the darkness of your life and mine. From a human perspective, the cross was something utterly abhorrent. And from our perspective, what might be going on in the world at large, some of the things size helped us pray through, some of the things going on in our nation, some of the things going on in our own lives and our own family, might seem like the worst. The, the sky's gone black like it did that Friday. From a human perspective. But from a divine perspective, those six hours of darkness were, if you understand the language, showing more light than this world was ever going to see. In that moment of hate, there was more love than this world was ever going to know. In that moment of hopelessness, there was more hope than we might ever have ever have ever dreamed or imagined. And there was me thinking the doctrine of providence sounded rather dull. Praise God. Our sovereign God will weave his purpose until that glorious fulfillment of Habakkuk's prophecy, until the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Yes, mate. It was that utter confidence that led Paul to write these famous words. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know. We're a certain people. We're a confident people with an absolute hope that in all things... Because that's what it says. That's good things and evil things. In all things, that's happy things and sad things. That's in disappointments, failures and successes. That's in the celebration and in the weeping. In all of those things. Now, he's not saying all of those things are good. But in all of those things, God works for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God works what? He works good. He works his well-being. He works his flourishing. Which is why some of the people that I know, and that you know, who've gone through the greatest darkness in their lives, they've gone through the most awful experiences that, that, that we might not be able to imagine, are the people most alive with his grace and his love. Do you know what I'm talking about? They seem to ooze Jesus out of them. Because somehow they've discovered that even in the darkness, even in the most depraved moments of life, God is at work bringing about his purpose. It doesn't say that all things are good. And neither is it a promise, notice, for all people. You can live, and this is the saddest part of the doctrine of providence, you can live the whole of your life excluding yourself from the work of God for you because you choose not to love him. Because you choose not to live called to his purpose. That's what it says. 
For those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. With every promise, there's always a challenge. And we're very quick to point our finger at God that he's not doing this and he's not doing that. And when evil crouches at our door, when things go terribly wrong, who could blame those 12 disciples by blaming God for what happened to their master in whom they put their trust as he died on a cross? It's so easy to blame God. But in our pointing our finger at him, we are getting stuck because we are blocking ourselves from the very one who's working something magnificent even in the midst of awfulness. If we're blaming God, if we're abandoning God, if we're angry with God, not only are we wrong in our assertion, but we're stuck. We're stuck because it's love for God. If you're a tweeter, this is a good one, I think. It is love for God that unlocks the door To God's providential promise. That's what this verse teaches, I would offer you today. It's the love for God that unlocks the door to God's providential promise in your life. At that moment that I'm angry with God, at the moment when I'm bitter towards him, at the moment when I think he's utterly lost the plot and I feel totally abandoned, in that moment, the best question I can ever ask of myself is how can I love him right now? Because I know that he's good. And I know that he's for me. And I know he'll work good even in this awfulness. And I know, so how can I love him now? Because love for God unlocks this providential promise. God works for the good of those who love him. Who are called according to his purpose. Just a couple of kind of things to put our uh, our kind of uh, markers down as we close. Two minutes, okay? Four markers in two minutes. No, you're right, I can't do that. Joseph, in the Old Testament, went from disaster to disaster to disaster to disaster to some major fulfillment of God's will for his life when many people were saved. That's essentially the story. How did he, how did he keep his love for God in each of those moments? Four things for you to think about. Number one, Don't stop moving. Don't stop moving. When evil crouches in, we want to stop and sit down and sulk and get bitter and get frustrated and get angry. When the disciples saw Jesus on the cross, did they carry on with the mission? Did they keep moving? No. They locked the doors. I'm out of here. I've had it. The journey of the shadow of darkness that leads to greener pasture, is a journey that you walk. You walk through the valley. That's what it says, doesn't it? It never ever says, even though I sit in the valley of the shadow of darkness. You don't sit there. Whatever you do, don't sit. What do you need to do today to make sure you keep moving? Secondly, lessons of providence. Discover God's presence even in the darkness. You know those beautiful people I talked about some moments ago? 
They are the people who's discovered that in the most awfulness, God is right there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Jonah said the same thing. In my distress, I called out to God and I discovered that he was there. Centuries later, totally different scenario. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the night before his execution, wrote that amazing poem that became a hymn. By gracious powers, so wonderfully sheltered and confidently waiting come what may, we know that God is with us night and morning. And it was for him very night. And never fails to meet us each new day. It's what Isaiah talked about, the promises of the darkness. But you can look that up. Look for what God is doing. God is always doing something. You might not see it on the Friday, but you only have to wait till the Sunday to discover that God's doing something. If you can't see what God's doing yet, keep looking. Whatever you do, don't stop moving. Whatever you do, don't stop looking. Know his presence and look. Because he promises to work good In all things for those who love him. So if I'm loving God in this thing that isn't good at all, I am looking to see where God's going to work the good. You with me? And let's not stop looking until we found it because it's a promise and all God's promises are maybe but perhaps one day. No, they're all yes and amen. Good bit of preaching there, wasn't it? Fourthly, here we go. Declare to yourself and to everybody else that the best is still to come. The best is still to come. At the end of Joseph's life, he'd been in Egypt all his life. Egypt had in the end brought him some success, but an awful lot of pain. And he says, I'm about to die. Take my bones back to the land because there is a promise. Because there is a promise. My dear friends, the best is yet to come. This isn't our home. This isn't the end of the whole deal. All these people were still living by faith when they died. May I be one of those with you. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The providential work of God will not stop until one day. See you there. To sing. Uh, Would you stand with me and... And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us, for me, for you personally, and for this moment, uh, that our response might not be cerebral, may not be information alone, uh, but might be personalised to what the Holy Spirit wants to say uh, to to us intimately uh, right now. I see classic traditional scales that weigh things. Maybe we get extreme sometimes about 
when the scriptures say, for example, to weigh prophecy, we tend to think, is it right, is it wrong? But actually, how heavy is it? Where, what tips the balance? And with that picture in mind, I would say, what do you see today? Because if the circumstances are weighing heavier than the providence of God, then that's tough, isn't it? It's tough for us, and it's tough for those around us. And it's not that the providence of God just makes the circumstances go away, but if that side of the scale weighs heavier, then we see different things. We see, we recognise, even by faith, we recognise the providence, the blessing, the goodness, the ultimate purpose of God. And I think that impacts us today for those of us who are grieving, uh, for those of us who have sheer frustration. And what's more, I think it impacts those of us who are in a place of unforgiveness that we only see the circumstance rather than what God is doing if you let the scales just tip the other way this morning in favour of the providence of God can you see then how you can loose that unforgiveness to release the people who are involved in the circumstances to have the Joseph spirit that says well you sent me to Egypt, but actually God sent me to Egypt. What you thought you were doing, God was doing. That's very liberating, it's very loosing. And that blessing I spoke over you earlier, I I speak again for the word of God and the knowledge of God and of his providence of us. The scales may weigh heavy in the direction of his goodness that the sight we have is more of him uh, than it is of the circumstances. And I pray that blessing in the name of Jesus.